Thank you, choir, for sharing, and Bill and Jeannie and Glenda for leading in worship today. As we begin this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today because we believe that you speak the truth and that you have spoken it finally and clearly through your word that we have before us today. Father, we come expecting to hear not from Nathan Skipper, not from some hymnist of of times gone by, but from you. Because your word is truth and your word directs our lives through the ministry of your spirit and your word. So, Father, work in us today. Show us how we can confess you faithfully in our praises, in our confession of sin, in our in our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to actually be all over the place today. We're going to look at three different scriptures, and I'm not going to ask you to necessarily hold your finger in all three of them. That, That might get a little interesting as you sit in your pew. But we're going to be in Psalm 67. You can go ahead and turn there if you want. Uh, We're going to also look at 1 John 1, 9 through 10, and then Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. So we're going to see how good you were at Bible drill as we flip back and forth. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not necessarily going to always give you time to turn there. But I just want you to know where we're going to be as we get to each spot. So if you want to stick your bulletin in one spot and uh, hold the other two, you can. So that's Psalm 67, 1 John 1, and Romans 10 will be where we go today. And we're in a little sub-series as we are working through the doctrine of worship. We've looked at the who, what, when, where, and now we're looking at the how of worship and to understand practically how it is that we worship God, both personally and corporately as a congregation. And so we're going to see that very clearly laid out today as we uh, look at the idea of confession as an act of worship. Now, I know when I say the word confession, that's likely to get your Baptist cackles up because you, the way that we typically view confession or when we hear the word confession, our mind probably immediately goes to the practice that the Roman Catholic Church carries out in which people go to a priest who sits in a confessional and they confess their sins to the priest. And we don't like that as Baptists because... The way that the Roman Catholics practice confession is that they believe it to be a sacrament. They believe that you have to confess your your sins to the priest in order to receive forgiveness for your sins. And so the priest acts kind of as a mediator between you and Christ. And when you confess your sins, the priest is able to absolve you of those sins. We, as Protestants and as Baptists, we don't believe that that's necessary because through Jesus Christ, we have the only mediator we need. I am not your mediator. Your brother and sister in Christ is not your mediator. This church as a whole is not your mediator. Jesus Christ is your mediator to the Father. And so when you pray to Jesus, you are praying to your high priest and you are able to confess your sins directly to God and receive forgiveness. We, as those who are part of the Reformation tradition, we believe that salvation is through Christ alone. There is no other medium 
through which we receive salvation. But the Bible makes it very clear, even though we have all these reservations about the idea of confession, the Bible makes it very clear that we should confess. Now, at a very basic level, if we think about the idea of confession, confession is, at a very basic level, saying what a thing really is. It's calling a thing a thing, okay? At a very basic level, confession is the use of our words to speak back to God what He has already said. And so, at a very basic level, we all believe that the way we speak... And what we talk about matters a great deal. I mean, after all, we teach our children from a very early age, from the time that they can talk, we teach them the difference between bad words and good words, right? We teach them that what they say actually matters. My dad tells a story of one day when he went out to the barn to get something out of the barn and he uh, overheard Patrick, my brother, and I talking. And so he eavesdrops in, dropped in on our conversation and he heard us talking about all the bad words that we knew. And Patrick had stated that he knew the worst word of all. And so I went about trying to guess what that word was. And I said, well, is it blank? And he said, no, it's not that. And I said, well, is it blank? And he said, no, it's even worse than that. And so we went through several iterations of this. And finally, I get exacerbated and I say, well, Patrick, what is it? And he says, roll tide. (laughs) So even children at an early age know that certain words should not be said. And some of us are raised wrong and we learn bad words. But even children know from an early age what shouldn't be said. Yet it's not just the words we use, but it's also the subjects that we talk about that matter. What we talk about is ultimately a reflection of our desires. You know, you can judge what somebody loves based on what they spend most of their time reading and talking and discussing in public. For some, that's sports. Sports takes up the majority of their lives. They listen to sports talk shows. They watch it on TV. They listen to the, uh, they read the articles. They watch every game. They get the, the spread. And I'm yet I'm not smart enough to understand the spread yet, but people understand what's the spread on the latest game. They know every little detail about their favorite team and who the recruits are for this year. For others, politics takes the cake. They leave Fox News or CNN running in the background all day long, and every post on Facebook or every discussion on Walmart is eventually, with these folks, is eventually going to turn to politics. For still others, relationships, and particularly the physical aspect of relationships, are the most important. They love the crude joke and the demeaning comment about a woman or the flirtation at work. What we love and what we hate will show up in how we talk 
Because speech is a reflection of our heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a man. So our speech is not idle and meaningless. There is no such thing. Understand this, friend. There is no such thing as an idle word. Words have a consequence. Throwing an idle word out is not meaningless. It has an impact on those who hear it. It reflects words, how we speak, reflect who we are. The Bible calls this act of speaking from the heart, particularly as it relates to God, it calls this confession. So this morning, I want to survey Scripture to, uh, to see three different types of confession. We're going to see adoration, admission, and acknowledgement. So let's start by reading Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 67, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 67, verses 1 through 5, God's word says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for, your, for you judge the people with equity, and guide the nations upon the earth. Salah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So from this passage, I want you to see that confession can be known as adoration, or we can confess through our adoration of God. The psalmist calls Here in this passage, he calls all nations to praise God. And the word that is used there for praise is the Hebrew word yada, which means the word yada literally means to tell out or to speak back or to confess. So the act of praise is often a misunderstood concept. We tend to relate or equate, I should say, praise with thanksgiving. But praise and thanksgiving are not necessarily the same thing. Thanksgiving is the result of something that God has done in your life. So when you thank God, and that can be speaking back and telling back to God something that He has done in your life, which can be an act of praise itself, that's thanksgiving. Praise is the idea of saying something about God that he has already said about himself. So when we praise God, we praise him for who he is. I mean, if you think about it, that's the way praise works on a, on a human level, right? You praise someone for having a good game. You don't thank them for having a good game. You praise them for having a good game. Uh, when you praise someone for being beautiful today, you're not thanking them for being beautiful today, although you might be thankful for that. But, um, but you're praising them for being beautiful today. So in the same way, when we praise God, we're saying back to Him something about who He is, something about His attributes or His glory. And the psalmist gives us three reasons that kind of help us to serve as categories 
for our praise. He gives us three reasons that we should praise God. First of all, in verse 1, he calls us to praise God for His gracious presence. God's presence ought to call His people to praise Him. He, gives, he says, Lord, You have let Your face shine upon us and you have, you have given us blessings beyond measure. And it's because of Your presence that we're blessed. And so God's presence with His people ought to be a source of praise to Him. In verse 2, he calls us to praise Him for His saving power. The fact that God has saved you and given you a home in heaven, that also ought to be a reason that you praise God. And then lastly, in verse 4, God's wise provision is a reason to praise Him. God provides justice and equity to the oppressed. Now, while the governments of this world deal corruptly and or, or insufficiently to give justice, God will ultimately bring about perfect justice. So these, like I said, these different reasons for praise can also serve as categories of praise. So let me give you some examples. He says there that uh, may God be gracious to us and bless us, make His face shine upon us. That, that idea of blessing can be a source of our praise. So we can praise God for the blessings of creation. We can praise Him because He is the great creator of this universe. And so we might think of, we might be sitting on our porch having our devotion one morning and we're looking out at a beautiful sunrise and we praise God for how beautifully He has made the world. We praise Him for the beauty of His creation. Or we might praise Him for the blessings of this life and how He has orchestrated our lives together so that we have the the things that we have, we enjoy the family that we enjoy, and God has worked blessings in our lives. Second, we can think of the salvation that He has given us as a category for praise. And so we can praise Him for sending Jesus to die for our sins. We can praise Him for the work that He is doing in our church and how He is bringing about salvation to those who have uh, heard the gospel. And we can praise Him in the category of justice. We can praise Him that He is just and that He judges the world in equity and that He is uh, right in all His judgments. So the next way that we confess is through admission. We confess by adoration and we confess through admission. To see this, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. And let's look at verses 9 and 10. Now, this is a very well-known passage. It's one that you've probably heard quoted a good bit. But we'll read it just to remind ourselves. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 it says, if we, confess with our, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So in this passage, John defines the whole of the Christian life as one of constant repentance. Martin Luther, the, the famous reformer, said that the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. If you want to define what the Christian life is all about, it is a daily act of repentance to God. 
And so John says that we should confess our sins. And when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. John says that basically we should spend a time every day confessing our sins before God, thinking about where we stand with the Lord and confessing our sins to the Lord. And he even goes so far as to say in verse 10 that the one who refuses to confess and repent is not a believer. Do you notice that? He says there that if you say that you have no sin, you make God a liar and the truth is not in you. The word of God is not in you. If you dig in with your heels and say, absolutely, what I am doing is not a sin. I don't care what the church says about it. If you turn a, a if a brother comes to you and says, brother, I think you're living in sin and you need to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And you say, no, what I uh, you shouldn't be judging me. What I'm doing isn't wrong. And it's your problem that you're so judgy. If you turn a call to repentance into an accusation of judgment, then it is likely that you don't know the Lord because a true Christian will repent of sin. When it is exposed in our lives, it'll hurt. I know that. But we will ultimately turn from sin if the truth of God is in us. So, John says that a life of, uh, that is lived in Christ is a life of continual repentance. A life of repentance flows naturally from a life of praise. If we understand rightly who God is and who we are in relation to Him, then we cannot help but confess our sins and seek His forgiveness. And the good news is, God has already forgiven us in Jesus Christ. I explained this Wednesday night that there's a difference between repentance and penance. Y'all do understand the difference, right? There's a difference between confessing your sins and trusting that God will forgive you because He has already done it in Jesus Christ and thinking that you need to do something to bring about that forgiveness. That's penance. Thinking that you need to give up some uh, or give more to the church or come more frequently or, or do more for God as, a, as an act of penance is not the same thing as confession. Confession is simply the act of saying back to God what He has already said about your sin. It's agreeing with God that you have sinned and turning from that sin. That's all it is. And we know that when we confess, God stands ready to forgive because of what He has done through Jesus Christ. So in Scripture, there are three ways that we confess our sins. First, we confess directly to God. Psalm 32 verse 5 says, I confessed my sins to you and did not cover my iniquity. So we can, at any moment during the day, when we sin or when we think about our sin, we can confess to God and know that He hears us. Second, we should confess our sins to other believers. 
Now, as good Southern folk, that's a little scary because we don't have any problems in the South, right? We don't sin in the South. We don't commit any sins in the South. That's, that's for those low people up North. We don't sin down here. And, and certainly we good church folks, we don't ever sin. And, and it's a little scary to think of the idea of confessing your sins, telling someone else about your sins, because one of the things we certainly don't do in the South is talk about other people, right? And so we, we might be a little timid to tell a brother or sister about our sins because we don't want, get, want it getting out. And we don't want them going and running their mouth to someone else and telling someone what we do in secret. But the Bible still calls us to confess our sins to one another. And there are two good reasons that we should confess our sins to a trusted, and I say trusted with emphasis, a trusted brother or sister in Christ. One reason is that we might find help with the burden of sin and guilt. So James chapter 5 verse 16 calls on believers to confess our sins one to another. And he says, so that we might be healed. Now, sin, you might not think of this because we as as, uh, Americans have been taught to believe that spiritual has nothing to do with physical, but sin can literally make you sick. That sickness could be physical, as is the case with alcoholism or drug abuse, but that sickness could also be mental. As when people are eaten up with guilt and so they become depressed and stressed and anxious and even psychotic. Whatever the sin and sickness that you might have, confessing our sins to other believers provides two means of healing. First of all, James says that believers can provide healing through prayer. So we can, if you tell me your sin that you're dealing with, I can do several things through prayer. I can pray that God will set you free from that temptation. I, will pray, I can pray that He can give you strength to bear the temptation. I can pray that He will take you out of the situation that's causing the sin and temptation. And I can pray that He will give you relief from the consequences of those sins and help you to stand under the burden of the consequences of sin. Another way that other believers can help you in is through the ministry of the gospel. When you tell another believer about a sin that you're struggling with, one of the things, and by the way, if you're ever on the receiving end of someone confessing sin to you, this is the number one thing that you should do besides praying for them, is you should be ready to tell them the gospel. Amen. Ready to remind them that their sins are forgiven if only they will turn to Christ. Remind them that it is not about how many times they sin or how deeply they fall into that temptation. It is about what Christ has done for them. And that if they will turn to Christ in repentance and faith, they have the forgiveness already there. And they need to trust in Jesus Christ. Don't jump on them. And talk about all the things that they've done wrong and why they need to, uh, to turn away from that sin. There's a time for that. When they're being stubborn about their sin and they're, they're rebellious, there's a time for that. But when they come ready to confess their sins, be ready to tell them how gracious and good Jesus 
is. Be ready to tell them the gospel. Also, along with that, be ready to walk with them. Be ready to give them a call the next week and say, Hey, brother or hey, sister, I just wanted to check on you, see how things are going this week. How's the struggle going? Anything you want to talk about? Be ready to talk, to have that awkward conversation when you do see them back out doing that same thing again. And keep them accountable. Keep each other accountable. The third way that we confess our sins is another awkward thing for us in the South. But the third way that we confess our sins is to the church. In Acts chapter 19, Paul preaches to the, church, uh, to the people at Ephesus and many of the people that had formerly dabbled in magic and, and superstitions, they became believers. And in verse 18, it records that many of them came to the church and confessed about their former lives of sorcery. Now, as strange as all that might sound, and as strange as it might sound for us in these good southern cities that we live in, and this good southern culture that we live in, to get up in front of the church and tell about our sins in a public way, as strange as that might sound, there are times when public confession of sin before the whole church is a good and necessary thing. If the sin, and here is kind of the the way that I would judge whether you should be ready to confess your sins to the whole church. If the sin that you have committed or that has happened in the church is widely known in the church or causes some damage to the church, it is important for the church to deal with that sin publicly. So I've seen a number of of these instances happen where... Either a sin was confessed publicly or it wasn't and it did great damage to the church. Uh, there was one church that I was a part of that where the music minister had a public affair with another staff member in the church. And the, um, the pastor had that music minister and the, person, the, the woman that had had the affair as well get up in front of the whole church. And this is a church of about 2,000 people and confess what they had done. And the woman ended up staying in the church and the man actually left. But it was a healthy thing for the church because it was known by church members and it was a damaging thing to the church. And confessing it got it out in the open and kept it from being a a point of gossip and contention within the church. On the other hand, I have seen situations where First of all, one situation where money was stolen from the church. Everybody knew who did it. And the person was never approached. Nothing was ever said. And and it went on to be a festering problem within the church. Second, another situation that wasn't dealt with is there was a nasty, public, very open divorce within a church. And it divided the church. The, the woman gathered her, her group of friends in the church and, and, and complained. And, and the man gathered his group of friends in the church and they complained. And it was a division within the church. If we will not confess open and public sins publicly in the church, they will find their way out. And the church will, the church's reputation, the church's witness in the community will be damaged as a result of it. So the final way of confession is through acknowledgement. 
So to see that, let's read Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one, is, one confesses and is saved. Now this is a passage we know well. It's one we've probably used to share the gospel. But Paul says in this passage that true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ results in a confession with the mouth. Notice Paul connects the heart and the mouth just like Jesus did in Matthew 5. And he ties them together in these two verses. So it's not enough, and hear me on this friend, it is not enough to believe in your heart and never confess publicly that you believe in Jesus Christ. I hear uh, people uh, who have gone for years without ever professing or making a commitment in front of the church have said, well, I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but they just never make a public confession before men. Public confession of faith in Christ is evidence of a changed heart. In fact, 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 says that God abides with the one who confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. So we confess by acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. So now that we've seen the meaning and the ways that we confess, I want you to understand how we can confess, some practical ways that we can confess both in our personal and our congregational worship. Now, in our individual walk with Christ, our speech is an outgrowth of our delight. Our speech is an outgrowth of our inner desires. What is it that you cannot wait to talk about? What is it that you cannot wait to tell your friends? Is it the Auburn or Alabama football game? Is it the latest gossip about that tramp down the street? Or is it the latest testimony of what the Lord has done for you? We should guard our speech in what we praise and in what we condemn. James chapter 3 verse 9 warns us that we should not use our tongues to praise God and then turn around and curse men who are made in the image of God. So we should be ready to speak about the wonders of God. We should be quick to say how God has blessed us. We should be quick to tell others about Jesus. But we should be very slow, if ever, to speak on topics that we do not understand or where we might misrepresent. And we should be very careful not to denigrate other people who are made in the image of God. Whether they're our cashier, uh, cashier at Walmart or the President of the United States of America. Whoever it is, they are made in the image of God and we should be careful about how we speak. We can also personally worship through the confession of our sins. Your daily prayer time should include a time of confession. Now I found with my own confessions that it's, it's hard to think of your sin. Sometimes you don't even realize what you have done. 
And one trick that I have learned is if you will pray that God would reveal your sins, you will be amazed at how quickly and how clearly your sins come to your mind. In fact, you better hold on to your seat and get a a number of pages out because you're going to be writing for a while if you write your prayers. But if you pray that the Lord would show you how you have sinned, you will find that those things come to mind and He opens your eyes to see even the small ways that you have sinned against Him. As a church, our worship should be full of confession. Now, y'all might have noticed, I hope you noticed, that we move things around in our services right early on when I started. And you might have wondered, now why is Nathan just moving things around and, and, and putting things in a different order and calling them different things? And you'll notice, I hope you've noticed, that we start our services with a time of confession of sin. And the reason for that is that I believe that the whole of the service should be an act of confession from us to God and God speaking back to us through His Word. We then move to hymns of adoration and confession and we sing praises to God and confess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to add, I, I have been very appreciative of Miss Glenda and Bill and how they have worked to, uh, to ensure that we have these hymns in the order that we have them in. I, I sat down with all the folks that were involved in worship, I think the first week I was here, and talked about how I wanted the, the order of worship to go and how to pick hymns. And I haven't had to say another word about it. Uh, Miss Glenda sends me emails about the songs she's picked and I'm like, yep, that's good. And I'm refreshed every week by the songs that we sing because we move from adoration of God to confession of faith in Christ to assurance of pardon in Him every week as we sing in those categories of hymns. And I hope you over the, over the months have recognized what we're doing with that. But as a congregation, confession also involves caring for one another. James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20 tells us to seek out the one who has fallen into sin that we might rescue him from death. We have to take sin seriously as a congregation. We have to be willing to go after those who have fallen into sin, whether it be to go to the bar and pull them out, or whether it be to go to them and say, brother, I see how you've been acting with that secretary at work and you need to stop and you need to be faithful to your wife. Whatever it may be, we need to be ready as brothers and sisters in Christ to call each other to accountability and faithfulness in the Lord and to call each other to confess our sins to one another and to the Lord. Now, you might that might get your cackles up again and say, well, that ain't none of my business. But it's interesting. We'll say that it ain't none of my business to to get on to anybody else about their sin, but then we ain't got the first bit of problem talking about their sin, do we? We ain't got the first bit of problem going to our other brother and sister in Christ and saying, did you hear what so-and-so's doing over there with so-and-so? We don't have the first bit of problem with gossiping and committing our own sins while talking about someone else's sins, rather than going directly to the person who needs to be called to confess and to repent and talking to them and pulling them back, as James says, 
from the jaws of death. That is our calling as a congregation. Not just to confess our sins in this worship service, which we should do, but to confess our sins to one another and to call each other to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the words that we say matter. Whether in our own personal life or here in the church. May we faithfully confess the Lord Jesus Christ as we live out our faith in this world. And may we faithfully confess our sins and call others to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we confess that we are sinners, that we deserve your wrath. But yet, because of what Jesus has done, we do not receive wrath, but we receive grace upon grace. And so, Father, we thank you that you have not dealt with us in accordance with your sins, but you have dealt with us in accordance with the righteousness of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would keep us in Christ through a life of repentance and praise. Father, that we would praise you in the way that we live. We would praise you in the words that we say and that we would praise you in the way that we live in repentance before men and before our church. Father, may this church be a church that takes repentance seriously. May we call our brothers and sisters to repentance, and may we live in a life of repentance as a congregation. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.